This is day four of our look through Revelation 17, and I want to say congratulations. You made it to day four of walking through this difficult chapter. It's hard. It's difficult to look at this world as it really is. First, it saddens us because we realize what is happening in the world around us and the hurt that's going on, but also it convicts us because we realize some of it's in our own lives. You've made it through to this point because you want to take an honest look at what God says. As we get to verse 7 of this chapter, we've heard the description of Babylon. We get to some of the when and where of this place called Babylon. We've seen some pictures of what it's like, the materialism that's there, the selfishness that's there. But now we begin to hear some descriptions of what is the historical nature of this place. To understand this place called Babylon, you have to understand what the Bible says about how it was built, why it was built, the beast that's a part of this city, the woman that's a part of what's happening in this city. And those descriptions, they begin in verse 7. Let me read for you verses 7 and 8 first. Then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast that she rides, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast, which you saw, once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. So we begin through a description of what is this place called Babylon. You've seen, okay, here's a description, red, expensive, but now we get into the description of we've got a beast, we've got horns, we've got kings. If you're beginning to scratch your head a little bit and wondering what in the world does all this mean, John knew that you would be feeling that way. The Lord knew you'd be feeling that way right now because verse 9, the very next verse says this, this calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain for a little while. The beast, who once was and now is not, is an eighth king, and he belongs to the seven and he's going to his destruction. Now right now you are really scratching your head. Somebody on a research team wrote about this. It reminds me, this, this part of the chapter, it reminds me of how I feel when I watch the show Lost every week. I keep thinking at some point it's going to click and make sense, but each week the story keeps getting bigger and bigger and more full and more confusing. And that may be exactly how you feel right now. I mean, you've got a beast and you've got kings and you've got horns and you've got hills and what in the world is going on here? Let's just walk through it. As we walk through it, I think it will become clear. First, who is the beast? That answer is the clearest of all. The beast is Satan. The beast already has been identified as Satan, and this woman, this worldly way of thinking, is riding on the back of Satan. In verse 8, the beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and will go to his destruction. That's a description of Satan. Now, who is the woman? Babylon, the world system, riding on the back of Satan. This world selfish system we think we've come up with it ourselves. We're just riding on the back of the evil one. He's just carrying us along in his way. People think they're so creative when they're selfish. We think we're so creative when we sin sometimes. We are not. We're just riding on the back of Satan. So the beast is Satan. And the woman is this worldly way of thinking. But then we hear there are seven heads and ten horns. What do those represent? We get some description because God knew we'd be thinking about this. The seven heads 
are seven hills on which the woman sits. And you think, okay, maybe I've got it figured out. Immediately you hear, and there are also seven kings. What is this about? Who are the seven kings? Let me go back to verse nine. This calls for a mind with wisdom. Whenever you hear that phrase in scripture, it's not talking about you being better at calculus. It's not talking about you being better at psychology, although it might be good to be better at those disciplines. It's talking not about the ability to solve a puzzle. It's talking about somebody who has the knowledge of God and the heart of God and of his word. So as you go back to God's word, what does this mean? Now, let's focus, first of all, just as we walk through this, verse by verse, let's focus, first of all, on who these seven kings are. And there are different understandings of these seven kings. Some people, many, write that it is the seven kings of Rome. You've got seven hills here. Rome was built on seven hills. Obviously, there's some picture of Rome here. And Rome, without a shadow of a doubt, we said this earlier this week, is a picture of the worldly system. And so the thought is, maybe this is seven kings of Rome. The Caesars, maybe from Augustus to Domitian. In order to get seven kings of Rome, though, you have to leave some Caesars out. It's not an exact science, but some people think that it's just talking about Rome in that day. And John is picturing for the people in that day the fact that this world system, this Roman system, it's going to be done away with. Others see it a little bit more broadly in history. They understand it to mean seven kingdoms, the kingdoms of Egypt and Assyria and then Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome, which is present right now, and then a last kingdom, maybe the one at the end of time that will be done away with at one time. Again, that could be true. There's no doubt when you look back to Daniel that there is some picture of that here. You do have to subtract some kingdoms. You have to add some in to make this work well. But there is a possibility that this is a span of history so that people could see this isn't just Rome. There have been, there have been Babylons before this. There'll be Babylons after this. And in all of them, God is going to work. God is going to work to bring about a new plan, a new place. Others see this just as a picture of the fullness of evil. The number seven and the number 10 show fullness. They say it's just a picture of the fullness of evil, but there's something more here. It doesn't just say seven and 10. There's some exact description here. Five have fallen, one is, and the other is yet to come when it talks about these seven kings. What is that about? When you think about the picture here, there is a spiritual picture here, whether you're talking about Rome or you're talking about the seven kingdoms of Egypt, Assyria, or you're talking about kingdoms to the end of the world, there is a spiritual picture here not to be missed. Five of these evil empires are defeated. One is almost done in, and there's one other one to come. That's showing something about evil. Evil is almost done in. Five are defeated. Almost done. One we're living in, it's still now. We're having to still live in it today. That's going to be defeated as well. And by the way, there's going to be another one at the end of time. And God's going to defeat that one too. Pretty amazing stuff when you look at how God is working through human history. That is God's work in human history. If you want to know where we stand in human history, because of the cross of Christ, evil has almost been done in. Oh, yes, we're still living with it today. And yes, it's going to have to be defeated for sure at the end. But it is certainly done in, and it's almost finished when you look at God's view of human history. All right, we've got the seven kings figured out. And just when we feel like, okay, I, I've got some understanding of that, all of a sudden he throws in, oh, by the way, there's an eighth king. Who is this eighth king all of a sudden? The eighth king, very clearly, is the beast. He belongs to the seven, and he is also going to his destruction, the Bible says. Many think that this 
idea of an eighth king refers to the false Christ and the false resurrection that we looked at earlier in the book of Revelation. Remember, Jesus was resurrected on the eighth day, resurrected on the first day of the week, but in one sense, that's also the eighth day. It's the day that comes after the seventh day. So there is a sense here, there's a possibility here, in a very powerful sense, God is helping us to see there will be a false antichrist with a false resurrection, but he's going to be defeated just as well. Now, seven kings, an eighth king, but then we have something else to figure out because all of a sudden he throws that in also, oh, by the way, there are also 10 other kings to be thinking about, 10 horns. In verse 12, 12 and 13, the 10 horns which you saw are 10 kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. There are many who give very exact definition to who these kings might be towards the end of time. The idea that there'll be rulers who have very short reigns and who think somehow that they are going to control the entire world. Uh, there are all, always different ideas of who these might be based on the world system at the time. For you and I, it's not identifying exactly who it is. It's identifying exactly what God is doing. This is a group of people who think they have power but they won't rule for but an hour, just a very short time. And the key in these kings, and they seem to come after the seven kings. They seem to be lesser than the seven kings. They seem to come at the end of time and be a part of what the beast is trying to do to control this world. What these 10 at the end, these 10 who come into power don't understand is they're just promoting the agenda of Satan. They think they're in power, but they won't rule for long. And they're just promoting somebody else's agenda. Now, I know there's a lot of numbers in your mind right now. You've got seven hills, you've got seven heads, you've got seven kings, you've got an eighth king, you've got ten kings. All of those represent fullness, sevens and tens. And all of these pictures represent power, hills and heads and kings. They represent power. The point is, what we're talking about here is world history. And if you look at these, the first and the last it's the practical nature, the practical description about how the kingdoms of this world go, how the Babylons of this world end up. God is picturing for us the fact that kingdoms come and go in this world, but his plan is what's going to last. Don't miss the truth here, that this spans all of world history. If you miss the fact that we're talking about every civilization that set itself up against God from the beginning, you've missed the point of the book of Revelation. God's going to deal with that. He has a plan that's above that, and his plan will last. If you miss that what we're talking about here is focused on the world that we live in today, the materialism in this world, that you and I have to live apart from this world, we're in the world but not of the world, you've missed the point of the book of Revelation and that God has a plan that's going to last, not this world. And if you miss that there will be a great final world empire that's going to exhibit all these qualities and that God's going to do away with in the end as he ushers in his kingdom, you've missed the point of the book of Revelation. It's about all of world history, and it's also about my history and your history and how we're going to live our lives. Let's take a minute to pray. Our Father, we thank you that as you outline history for us in simple ways, you remind us that it's almost over. Evil is almost done in, and that your plan is going to prevail in the end. And I pray whatever circumstances we're facing today, whatever problems we're facing today, whatever evil we might be facing today. Help us to hold on to that hope. Help us to hold on to the fact that you, our Father, you have a plan 
that will certainly come to pass. And your plan is a plan for goodness. Your plan is a plan for redemption. Your plan is a plan that instead of the world winning, the worldly way of thinking, that your way of thinking will be victorious for all eternity. Thank you for your plan. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Tomorrow we're going to talk together about the confidence that God gives us in all this. Mm -hmm.